0: Good morning. This morning's scripture comes from the ninth chapter of John. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. The man answered, here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, But he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sin, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Keith. Good morning, church.
1: I am so excited to be up here with you all this morning and working with this wonderful text. Um, first, I, I want to say thank you. Um, I'm, if you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Jeremy, and I've been the interim worship leader, director thing for this service since the end of the summer. It's a really short period of time, but during these few months, my wife and I have truly fallen in love with First Baptist. Uh, we've gotten involved in programs and ministries and events. And uh, I can tell you, it's been a long time since we've felt so at home in a church community. So, thank you. We we love it here. Thanks, Randall. So, let's, let's jump back and take a look at our text from the ninth chapter of John. And uh, as we've talked uh, several times during this sermon series... Uh, John is a different sort of gospel. The author of these books is a storyteller. Uh, Pastor David used the phrase narrative commentator a few weeks back. He crafts his narratives very intentionally. They're not just thrown together. They're put together in a certain way. This uh, author wants to tell you a story about who Jesus is as much as he's trying to give you facts about Jesus' life. This gospel is completely different from the other three. This book opens with a theological poem about the divine nature of Jesus. The plot flows in a different order than the other gospels. There's different stories, different elements. It contains uh, intentional groupings. Uh, John is where you find the seven I am statements of Jesus. And the seven miracles of Jesus. He, he puts things together. There's collections in this book. This writer is telling stories about Jesus. And he wants you to pick up on it. He wants you to feel these hints and these nudges, these winks. He wants you to pick up what he's putting down. John wants you to notice. wants you to see the big God themes. Woven into these stories. And so in chapter nine, we pick up one of the threads from last week's chapter in eight. Uh, last week, Pastor David did a great job preaching on this text with uh, the Pharisees and Jesus fighting in the temple. They're bickering about authority and history and lineage, and things get really shady, and they start calling each other the devil. and It's, it's just weird. Um, and the passage ends. Very truly, I tell you, this is Jesus dropping one of his seven I ams. Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. And at this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. And that's how chapter 8 ends. But remember, the chapter breaks, the numbers, the verses, and stuff, we added that. Uh, John didn't have those, they're not in the manuscripts. Jesus didn't say, I slipped away. Chapter 9, this is new stuff. We put this in to help us. So chapter 9 opens, and as he went along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. If you put the two together, it flows really nicely. They picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. And as he went, he saw a man who had been born blind. The same themes continue here. Jesus had just been talking about sight and witnesses, and light, and darkness. And now these things are going to continue. Uh, Jesus is going to say things like, I am the light of the world in this passage, and we have to work in the light. These same themes, he's going somewhere with this. So, Jesus, who is just talking about darkness and light, claimed the divine title of I am, now sees a blind man on the street, and starts the same line of dialogue back up, light, uh, revealing. And he's going to do this distinctly messianic act of healing a blind person, restoring sight. And I think the author wants us to see this healing as a credentialing act uh, for all the words that Jesus has been saying before this. The uh, answer Jesus gives us to why was this man born blind uh, seems really kind of unsatisfactory, from a human point of view, from uh, the world that we live in, for Jesus to say, to glorify God, that's why this man was born blind, uh, feels it's not good enough, kind of. But as a literary device for John, that's exactly what this man is. The man born blind is there to show us the glory of God for the author of John. So Jesus declares divine status, and is now claiming to be Messiah, called himself the light of the world, and to back it all up, he's going to miraculously give sight to a blind man. And so notice where this happens, too. It happens in a public place. That's a big plot point later in the story. So that everyone knows what has happened. And to someone who people recognize, everyone sees it. Everyone except the religious elites who are just fighting with Jesus. Everyone, even the blind man, sees Yeah, you got to love the irony there. So Jesus, this is how this goes down. I love this. Jesus doesn't even ask permission. He walks up to this blind man, hawks one into the dirt, makes some spit mud, because that's what gods do, and wipes it on this guy's eyes and tells him uh, to go and wash in that pool, after which the blind man sees for the first time. Prequel cool miracle, and if you like John, you'll you get a lot of miracles. If you like miracles, you'll like John. In my Bible, it's about 20 pages long. It's a short book. Go read it. You could read it in one sitting today. Um, and in there, seven miracles. It's phenomenal. But this one, this miracle, is distinctly different from Jesus' other miracles in John. In John two, Jesus keeps the party going turning water into wine only by willing it. He he doesn't touch it. There's no incantation. There's no prayer. It just happens. In John 4, Jesus heals the Roman officer's son at a distance. He doesn't go see him. He doesn't touch him. He doesn't speak to him. He just says, yeah, your boy is healed. And he is. John 5, Jesus heals a lame man laying by the pool. We read that one in here. uh, Commanding him to take up his mat and walk. In John 6... Jesus feeds the 5,000 with limited supplies. And once again, he doesn't really do anything to the food. Reality just kind of shifts around him, and there's enough for everyone. Chapter 6, we see Jesus walking on water, defying the laws of physics like they don't matter. In John 11, Jesus calls Lazarus back from the dead with two simple words. But the healing here in John 9 is strikingly different. Did you catch it? Do you see it? There's something different here from all the other Johannine miracles. It's that the mud, the whole mud thing, is completely unique here. It's strange. It doesn't keep with the pattern. In John, Jesus has never needed anything to help him accomplish his miracles. And, And nor will he need such help again. It's always just Jesus contained. There's enough Jesus, but here, something else. In this story, Jesus is arguing his divinity, revealing his status as Messiah, declaring himself to be the lie of the world, and healing a man born blind. And to accomplish this, no mighty prayers, no eloquent words, no ancient hymns, no dramatic gestures, unless you go with that one. Um, No thunder and lightning and clouds, no calling down of angels, just dirt and some spit. And a little bit of water. In this miracle specifically, Jesus uses unnecessary materials to accomplish his purposes. And while this is an odd move in the Gospel of John, it's not out of character for the God of the Bible. So let's uh, let's take a look at some history together. We're going back to 1 Chronicles. Uh, it's an eloquent, beautiful passage to crochet into uh, doilies and to put on Christmas cards. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Malalalalal, uh, Yerod, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, it keeps going, Shem, Ham, Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Maddie, it's like poetry. Yavin, I think that's a Star Wars planet, Tubal, Meshach, Tiras, Ashkenaz, Rip, whoa, Togomar, Elisha, Tarshish, kiddies. And the Rodenites, and it goes on like this for nine chapters. This is this is nine chapters um, pushed onto one screen, and it's names. It's just <laughs> names from uh, Adam. That's the first name. Maybe you can see it in the top left um, to about the year nine hundred BCE. Huge genealogy. These kinds of biblical texts often trip up readers today. We don't like this. This doesn't tweet well. <laughs> they, uh, they break our momentum, and they, they turn off people who are looking for a narrative to follow. This passage, these nine chapters, are basically just names. Every now and then we get a piece of context, but it's names and names and names. But the author who put this together, this enormous genealogy, is trying to tell us a story. The author has strung the long history of the people of God together in such a way that you you can almost read it in one sitting. It's nine grueling chapters of names, but if you wanted to, you could do it. You can almost take it in all at once. The author wants the readers to remember what God had done so far in their story. And that all of these things that God's been doing, that they've been instruments in that. Names like Anaman and Lahabim and Naphtabim are the authors saying, remember, remember, remember. Zimri, Ethan, Heman, remember, remember, remember. David, Joseph, Caleb, remember, remember, remember. Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham, "Remember, remember, remember, remember. Remember what God has done for us. Remember how God led us through the hard times. Remember how God is the source of good times, of every good gift in our life. Remember how God chose people like us to do amazing things. Remember, remember, remember. And this is a classic Old Testament theme. The word remember occurs about 137 times in the Old Testament and my sermon, uh, give or take based on who's doing the translating. And these nine chapters that we had on the screen, all the names, they're participating in that tradition. Remember, 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 call back, call back. All of these names are, are the author putting together the story of God's people so far from the sons of David all the way back to Adam. Now this is where things get really fun. Uh, throw that slide up there. We're going to do some Hebrew work this morning, y'all. So get ready. The Hebrew word for Adam is Adam. Thank you. Yeah, I went to seminary. <laughs> yeah. Pretty simple. It's a name. Adam. It's about to get really cool. Another word I want to show you, Adama, this is the Hebrew word for dirt. They are, put the two together, they are the same word in a different form. A uh, acceptable way to translate Adam, if we want, you know, names have meanings, Um, and some of us know the meanings behind our names, like my name is David, you won't say my name is God's chosen one, you know. But if we wanted to do that sort of work here, it would not be wrong to translate Adam's name as Dirt Man. They're the same word in a different form. From the very start, God has been making miracles out of dirt. And the author of First Chronicles wants you to see this. God's been using us, flawed, broken, short-sighted dirt people, to do amazing things in our world. In the same way, the story of First Baptist Decatur is a story of God doing amazing things with ordinary people. Like in 1862, uh, there was a little thing going on called the Civil War. Little little thing, it's not important. Uh, but during the Civil War, some Christians in Georgia and Kentucky, doesn't always go together, go well when the two get together like last night, but this time it worked really nicely. Um, Some Christians from Kentucky and Georgia got together, raised $600, and built a little brick building here. Not here, but in our community, because they decided that Decatur needed a church. And the church outgrew its space, and in 1926 built a new building near uh, Twain's Tavern, just up the street. Again, In a time of war, it's 1944, weeks after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, uh, Pastor Dick Hall has a vision, like a vision vision, y'all, of a church here in this space, a church that could change the world. And the vision, ta-da, became a reality. We bought the land and began to build, but not just a building, but to build a church That sent missionaries all over the world. Nazaland, Mexico, Guatemala, Switzerland, Kenya, Taiwan, Korea, Italy, Japan, Nigeria, China, the Philippines, Chile, Brazil, more. This became a church about the world. Reverend Lancaster would later focus that vision in, tightening it on the city of Decatur. And for the first time, we became the front porch of Decatur. Our building became full of life. a, A community location a place where our neighbors assembled. This is also when we committed the scandalous act of ordaining the first female deacons to ministry at First Baptist. Later, our pastor and friend Peter Ray Jones would lead us to take the brave, difficult steps away from the SBC and to join God in doing something new when it would have been much easier to stay. Reverend Parker made worship spaces like this one a reality, in 2004, we ordained our first gay deacon. In 2007, we called Reverend Julie Pennington Russell as our first female senior pastor. But this is not just a story of pastors. This is a, a story of deacons and Sunday school teachers and families and missionaries and staff and people who cook and people who clean and people who love Decatur and love God and love the world. We have planted churches We have sponsored seminaries. We have assisted refugees. As a church, our name is on a 1975 statement on civil rights and a 2017 statement condemning white supremacy in the United States. We weekly offer various forms of ministry, relief, and assistance to our community, as well as being a gathering place for Decatur. God has done amazing things here. God is doing Amazing things here, and God will continue to do amazing things here in us, through us, for us, and with us. Remember, remember, remember the people, the the work, the struggles. Remember the the ministry, the victories, the missions. Remember, remember, remember. Church, we're currently in a, a season of transition. I know that's a big surprise for all of you. Uh, It's been a long, uh, hard season of transition. But here we are, ministering, working, and worshiping. A family of dirt people changing the world. And um, we don't know what the future holds for this church. I don't know what the future holds for me. But we can see what God has done. We know how God likes to work. And we know that God uses unnecessary materials to accomplish amazing things for the kingdom. This is not a time to hold back. This is not a time to retreat or to shrink. This is not a time to be worried. This is a time to be grateful. Grateful for what God has done, doing, and will do in this place and with us. This is a time for courageous gratitude. Our best days are not behind us. And while our future probably won't look like our past, it will look like the kingdom of God. And we may just be a gathering of dirt people. But sometimes when you get enough dirt in one place, it can become a garden. So let's think back to our reading from John. What's the man's response to Jesus working in his life? It's gratitude. His gratitude, and it makes him bold. It makes him bold to stand before Uh, accusers and pharisees and people who don't listen to his story uh, in dangerous places makes him a bold witness and makes him bold in his worship of jesus jesus chose to use dirt to heal this man not because he had to but because for some reason or another he wanted to jesus chooses to invite us into his dream of cosmic reconciliation not because he needs us but because he wants us. So maybe you're in here today and you feel like the title of dirt fits you perfectly. Perhaps you have come to the conclusion that your dirt status is the only thing that defines you, that that dirt is the final word on your life, your identity, your purpose, your destiny. But we are here to tell you that God made dirt and the whole story of humanity begins with dirt, and that Jesus can use dirt to do beautiful and amazing things in this world. And that's something to be really grateful for.